do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Have your Bibles turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to finish 1 John chapter 3 this morning and um, get through the rest of that chapter as we start looking towards this, um, this uh, continual theme that arises that the Apostle John writes. 1 John chapter 3. Now, you got to understand, John is about 83, 84 years old when he's writing this. He's an apostle. He was a former disciple of Jesus. This is written after 70 AD, and so Jerusalem is already destroyed, and he's writing this to the churches that have been scattered all over the Roman Empire. And during that time, in the last 10 years, during this time when John is writing this, there's been five Caesars. And all of them are turning up the heat, beginning with verse Nero, beginning with Nero, Nero um, of the persecution of the church and the persecution of Christians. And um, so John is writing this to them to encourage them and to let them know this is what Christianity is and isn't. And he's writing this as an old grandfather. So think about it this way. He's a grandfather writing to his grandchildren. And so some of you grandfathers, what have you, you know, think about it that way. That he's writing as a grandfather. And I don't know if you've ever, my grandfather used to be a great storyteller. He fought in World War II and he would tell stories and he would be in the middle of stories and then he'd run off on some tangent and then come right back to it. And it was just some random thing that he was going through. And one time I remember he was in the middle of a story and my grandmother comes in because she had just gotten a phone call and she said, you're going to be a great grandfather. And she looked at my grandfather and my grandfather looked and he continued on with his story, kind of ignoring her almost. And, and I looked at grandfather, I looked at my grandfather and I said, grandpa, grandpa, you're going to be a great grandfather. And he looked and he smiled and he said, I've always been a great grandfather. So the Apostle John is writing this as a great-grandfather to us, and so he has something to say as we kind of unfold this, and let's read this together. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Well, I haven't heard that one before, right? We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know love. 
Now watch these little, there's three of them. By this we know, verse 16, 19, and 24, underline them and circle them because he's, gonna, he's saying something very important to us. Three different times, three things that he's giving to us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. There it is again, love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And once again for the third time, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you that it divides between the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And we ask, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would take this word and use it in our lives. God, change us, transform us. Lord, we love you. We confess our dependency upon you, Lord God. And we ask, Lord God, that this truth, Lord God, would change us and that you would use it to conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I look at this passage of scripture and if you're taking notes, you see the children of God are children of the devil. What are the characteristics is what we're going to be looking at here this morning. I'm amazed at the world that we live in, and, and, and I want to set this up so that we have an understanding. If you're a reader of literature, there's two probably the famous and classic horror stories that were written years ago. One was Frankenstein. And one was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And what you have in these two stories is two competing worldviews. And the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde worldview is that Dr. Jekyll is a good surgeon. He's, he's very kind in his community, but there's this evil within him. And he wants to so desperately to act out and to do that evil. But he doesn't want to lose his place in society. And so he devises this formula to convert him and his appearance into a person, Mr. Hyde. So that he can do all the evil that he wants. 
And what happens in the story is this evil in Dr. Jekyll um, eventually overtakes him and he no longer has to drink the formula to become Henry Hyde. The evil so gets him and owns him that he then follows down this dark path. Where Frankenstein, on the other hand, you have Frankenstein who is made by Dr. Frankenstein and he's this creature that now has life and he is good and he is created good and he wants to connect with people. But yet he looks like a monster And so people then treat him like a monster. And people say all sorts of evil things against him. So much so that they want to kill him. And so instead, so he eventually then becomes a monster because he's treated like a monster. So one is society makes him evil in the Frankenstein story. And on the other side, you have the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, where we're born with and have this constant fight of evil within us. The Christian life is much more like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. We are not born good. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. In fact, all, there's none that, that, that even have any good within them. There is, there's nobody that does good, is what Romans says. And so therefore, we're not born good. And so therefore, the only way that we can do good and be good is we need outside intervention. Because there is this battle within And so the Christian life in regards to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's this idea that this worldview of we have evil within us and we have this good and that they're ever fighting. This is a better reflection in what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7 where he says the good that I don't want to do, the good that I want to do, I don't do. It's only the evil, that's what I do. And he says, in the things that I want to do that's good, I don't do. And there's this struggle, this this struggle that he has. And it's only through Jesus Christ, because he says, oh, wretched man that I am. It's only through Jesus Christ that I, I, I can get past this. But I live in this constant struggle. Now, here's, here's the thing. As Christians, and I'm speaking to you Christians that you've, you've, you've prayed and received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. What do we do with the gospel? We repent of our sins. We believe the message of the gospel. And we receive Christ into our life, right? So as a Christian then, we're to live new. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're as John chapter 3 says, we're born again. These are the stories and the, and the verses that we hear. Okay? But what happens? We still have this sin nature. We still struggle with sin. And we ask ourselves, if I'm saved, if I'm truly saved, then why do I doubt my salvation? 
If I'm truly saved, why do I deny Jesus with my lifestyle? If I'm truly saved, why did I just think that thought? If I'm truly saved, why am I not really forgiving the person who hurt me? If I'm truly saved, why do I want to do and do what I shouldn't do? If I'm truly saved, why did I say those words that are absolutely destroying that person, even sometimes while I'm saying them? If I'm truly saved, why am I living a broken, discouraged, and defeated life? Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. If I'm truly saved, because here's the thing. Coastal church is not about developing perfect followers of Christ. No, we are called to develop, you ready? Authentic followers of Christ. You know what that means? That means you can be as messed up as you want. You can be as messed up because it's all level ground on the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ shed his blood for us and that he died on the cross for our sins and he bodily rose from the dead and he made us new. And so guess what? You can bring your ugliness and recognize that as authentic as we are, we need Christ every moment of every day. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. But here's the deal. Why then do I still sin? You would think, I mean, I've been saved for a long time. I've been saved like 28 years. Why am I still struggling with sin? Don't you think I should be perfect by now? Don't you think that I should always shun sin? Why in the world do I have that thought? Why in the world am I doing this? Why in the world am I saying this? And the apostle John here is writing and he starts with this idea, we should love one another. Okay, all right. And he gives a little bit of a contrast between the child of the devil, devil, evil, and the child of God. And he gives some characteristics here from the text. And the first thing that he says is that you've heard it from the beginning that we should love one another. And then he said, we should not be like Cain. So here's the contrast or the characteristics of the children of the devil. And what did Cain do? He murdered. So if you're taking notes, there's the two characteristics of the children of the devil. Number one, that of evil, that you murder God's children and are fine when they are murdered. What did he say? We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Being a child of the devil means this. You are trying to stomp out people's righteousness. We're at a tipping point in our country. In fact, evil preaches tolerance until it's in the majority and then it tries to silence all good. We're at a tipping point that it's time for us to speak up for the things that are true and that are godly and that are right. It's not something for us to just say, oh, no, no, we can be indifferent about this. 
Now, it's this, well, I don't want to offend anybody. What I don't understand is, is it's, it's okay for us to be offended, but it's not for, okay for us to be offensive? And I don't want to offend anybody. I want to do it in the context of that we should love one another. We're not here. This is not a political speech. It's that we should love one another. And how do we love one another? Well, the best way that we can love somebody is to let them know, hey, I love you for you. And just as much as you sin, I sin. And just as much as you struggle, I struggle. But I'm not identified by my sin, and you're not identified by your sin. You're a person, I'm a person, so let's love each other. And all of a sudden, but one of the things here that the apostle John is saying is he says, murder God's children. If you're a child of the devil, you're okay with that, and you're fine when they are murdered. Did you know in the last two years, go to the persecutedchurch.org. In the last two years, we've seen a 300% rise in the persecution of Christians globally. Now think about this. There are more people being killed for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ globally in the last two years, an increase by 300%. In fact, in India, the prime minister just came to visit the White House they have seen a consistent rise in the last two years of the human rights violations of them killing those that are of the Christian faith. It's interesting because if we're really that of God's children, we would go, well, I don't murder God's children, but are we fine with those that are being murdered? Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you Secondly is this, the children of the devil hate God's children and are indifferent towards them and or are different towards them. This goes along with John's teaching. Jesus is teaching in John chapter 16, verse 33. The Bible says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation, Christian. It's a promise. This is not a maybe you will, maybe you won't. No, in the world you will have tribulation. If they're trying to, to stomp out righteousness, if they're trying to murder those people, then John's saying, don't be surprised when the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, is a murderer. Remember Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Meaning that you're living in this continual state. Now, can a murderer go to heaven? A murderer? Yes. The same way you and I can go to heaven as sinners. So, the first little beginning of this text, you see that the apostle John's kind of saying, okay, listen, this is what children of the devil do. This is, they murder, they hate God's children, they're indifferent towards them. He's talking about that of the, tribula- of, of the difficult times. 
the trials and tribulations that we as Christians face. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Then he goes and he shifts, verse 16, 19, and 24 to, and by this we know that we are children of God. By this we know. Have you ever, this is where he deals with my doubt. Do you doubt? Now, I know some people don't doubt at all that they're saved 100% in there. I struggle with doubt. You know why I struggle with doubt? I struggle with doubt because I sin. Because I would think, why am I still sinning? I struggle with doubt because I think a thought that I shouldn't think. I say a word or words that I shouldn't say, especially when I'm driving. Oh, you there? No, the characteristics of the children of God, he says, by this we know, by this we know, by this we know. Three times. This is how you know that you're a child of God. It's not based upon you keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not based upon the fact of that you're good. It's not based upon the fact of this or that. The Apostle John gives three, three verses, three sections of by this we know. This is how you can know you're a child of God. The first one is this. The children of God... Letter A, know what love is. The children of God know what love is. Now, how do we know what love is? Well, here in John 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, go back to John 3, 16. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, that what? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The children of God know what love is because they've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here, you know what love is because the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we, were, while we were still in rebellion and rejection of God, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. While we were resisting God, resisting him, over and over again, the Bible says that he adopted us as his children. That we were in the orphanage of reject and despair and hate, it, hate, God came and adopted us and brought us to life and gave us new names and transformed us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and his son. Is that not good news? That's the beauty. So how do we know what love is? We know what love is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what love is. And that's what he says here. By this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Because when he loves us, therefore it gives us the capacity now to love others. We love because, what does the Bible say? He first loved us. 
we know what love is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the dead, right? And we repent of our sins and he's forgiven us for all of our sins. Every sin, past, present, and future. There's not a sin in here that you've committed that he hasn't forgiven. For us as Christians, what do we do? We believe the message of the gospel. And then number three, what do we do? We receive Christ and Christ comes into our life. John chapter one, but as many as received him to them, he gave the power to become children of God. And we know what love is because of this. Look at over here. and We're going to get to this in the future. But first John chapter four, verse 10 says this. In this is love. Right, turn over just one page. First John 4, 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because we know love, Christian, from God, therefore we ought to love one another. Because he loved us when we were hard to love and difficult to love, therefore we ought to love one another the same way. Do you have difficult people in your life? Really difficult people in your life? Love them the way God loves you. Wait a second. I don't want to do that. That's hard. Yes, it is. I remember my, like, like, this is so hard sometimes with your children. I remember my son, he started to flex his man muscles when he was about 14 or 15. And I remember him going after Holly one time. It's my wife. And he was going after her. And I come on the scene and I'm hearing what's going on and then I come down and I, I get angry and I look and I said, you will not talk to my wife that way. And all of a sudden, he kind of backed up and he like thought for a second, like, whoa, wait a second, that's not my mom anymore? That's your wife? <laughs> oh yeah, it's on. Flex time, baby. You wanna go toe to toe? You wanna go man to man? Luckily, he backed down. But it's this idea that he, in that moment, he was very, very hard to love. But it doesn't mean I don't love him. It doesn't mean he's not my son. It doesn't mean that I don't want him. It just means in that moment it was very difficult. God loves us that way. And we also ought to love one another that way. Right? If you're a child of God, the first characteristic is that you know what love is because we know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And number two, if you're a child of God, we know what love is. B, we know that we are of the truth. Look at verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Let me just stop there. We know that we are of the truth because of what God's word says. Not what my heart says, but what God's word says. You might have, you might have, let, me, let me tell you, I have a, so in my office, I have a library, 
and you go in the library and there's a chair and I counsel myself in this chair. It's just a self-counseling chair. I know. <laughs> but I sit in this chair and this is what I do. This is how I counsel myself. And let me share something with you. Those of you that don't like going to the counselor, you know, like some of us need it. Some of us, there's seasons and stuff. Let me, let me, let me help you, okay? Pull out a pad of paper, pull out a pen and write down every lie that your heart tells you. That you're worthless, that you're no good, that you're unlovable, that you're not smart enough, that you're not good enough, that God can't use you. Every lie that your heart tells you. Write it down. Then take the word of God and put a verse on it. And say, no, this is the truth. I'm believing a lie. I'm going to tell myself the truth of God's word, not the lie that my heart tells me. But all these children's programs say, follow your heart. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So it's never going to tell me the right stuff. God's word tells me the right stuff. What's truth? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What's truth? John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So stop believing the lies that you're telling yourself and start believing the truth. The truth of God's word. You want to be transformed? It's what Romans 12, 1 says. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the way that you think. And the way that you think ought to be truth, not the lies of your heart. You see that? This is what gets me past all my mental health issues. This begins the process of saying, if God's word says this, and he saved me, and I know what love is, and I know what truth is, then I'm moving in the direction of darkness, from darkness to light. This is the truth of God's word. That's why David says in Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because what David's saying is, I have to believe truth. I have to memorize truth. I have to consume myself with truth. And every time there's a lie that pops into my head, I replace it with the truth of God's word. This is victory, Christian. This is victory. By this we know that we are of the truth. That God is greater than my heart. He knows everything and he's still greater. I love that little comma, this little grandfather saying, John always does these little grandfather thoughts. Oh yeah, and he knows everything. He knows that thought that you're thinking, that action that you've done, that unforgiveness that you can't forgive yourself for. He knows it. He knows everything. And the truth of God's word is still for you. It's still for you. Because I'm going to tell you something. My biggest struggle 
And I used to hear it all the time when I go to church. I'd hear pastors say, if you're 99% sure you're saved, then you're 100% lost. I used to hear that. And here was my thought. I must be lost. Because I struggle sometimes with knowing that I'm saved. And this is not, and people go, oh, doubt. Oh, you're doubting and you're a pastor? Hey, listen, you know what? Did you know John the Baptist doubted? The Bible says that he's in jail. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God in his mom's womb, Elizabeth's womb. You can read about it. And he preaches everything about Jesus and the kingdom of God. He, Jesus is there, and there's this, this Trinitarian moment where he hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. The Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove, and John's in prison, about to die for this, and John sends his disciples to Jesus and say, are you the one, or are we going to look for another? Jesus even called him the greatest prophet ever to live, and he doubted. Doubt is not sin. Rebellion is sin. Now, once you're confronted with the truth of God's word, once you're confronted with this, then there becomes that crossroads of, am I going to believe it or not? If I say no... To God, I'm saying I'm not going to believe God's word. I'm not going to believe the truth, and I'm going to follow my own things. And when I do that, then guess what? I've begun the rebellion walk, not the doubt walk. Third characteristic of a child of God. Verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So you look and say, and by this, we know. Once again, and by this, we know. What, what is he saying? And by this, we know. We know that God's spirit abides in us. The children of God know that God's spirit abides in him or her. Wait a second, but I still sin. Yes. Go back to Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Henry Hyde is still in there. Dr. Jekyll is still in there. The battle continues on. The moment there, but there is a battle. Those people that live in sin, that are not saved, there is no battle. And they embrace sin. They celebrate their sin. You know why? Because there's no battle. There's no struggle. Because lost people act lost. Why would we expect them to act saved? But us as Christians, we have the spirit of God in us and the spirit of God battles with my flesh. And how do I know that I'm saved is that God's spirit abides in me. Now look, it's a little backwards here, but he backs it up by saying, because we keep his commandments. How do I know the spirit of God abides in me? Well, because he keep, I keep his commandments. Oh no, did he break out the 10 commandments here in this, the, the verses before? No, he didn't break out the 10 commandments because let me share something with you. John already knew that we had already broken all 10 of the 10 commandments. You have other gods before you. You're a liar. You're an adulterer. You're a murderer. You're all of these things, but it's Christ that makes us new. And how do we know that we're new? One, we know what love is. Two, we know that we are of the truth. And three, God's spirit abides in us. 
And some people go, well, how, how do I know if God's spirit's in me? If the God of the universe that created heaven and earth and everything that we see abides in you, you know it. You know it. If he's not and you're questioning, then maybe he doesn't abide in you. Ouch. Because some of us, I know, man, when I was growing up, some of us prayed some prayer when we were eight years old and we think that's it. Once saved, always saved. And there's never been a transformation. There's never been a desire for God. And, and my question is, is maybe God's spirit doesn't abide in you. If you're here today and you think that you're saved and you, God's spirit doesn't abide in you, Romans chapter eight, verse nine says, now if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. But he gives two commandments. How do we know that we have God's spirit abiding in us? Because we keep his commandments. Well, what are the commandments he gives? He gives two commandments. The first one is this, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. I can do that. I've done that. I believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And second commandment that he gives is that we love one another. I've done that. Now, do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But the two commandments he gives, what are his commandments? He says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. Oh, no, I don't keep his commandments, the Ten Commandments. And do what pleases him. Oh, no, I don't do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. Oh, here we go, more disappointment. Because here's the deal. There's a time in my life that I just felt like I was a constant disappointment to God. And maybe you're here today and you feel like a constant disappointment to God because you sin. And I'm here to tell you, you're not. You're his child and he loves you. And he'd rather have you messed up than not have you at all. And this is how you know that you're saved. What is the commandment? That we believe in the name of the son, Jesus Christ. God gave me, he adopted me. I believe because he, <laughs> he saved me. And I love one another, which I can't even do well, but he gives me the capacity because I know what love is because of the gospel, therefore I can love one another. So both of those he does through me. You see the beauty of the gospel, church? He does those things through me. The outside intervention saves me. The outside intervention gives me the power to love one another. And so therefore, why aren't we loving one another? We can agree on this. I don't care what political party you are. We can agree upon this. Because we keep his commandments, we believe in the name of Jesus, we love one another. So here's, here it is, ready? I know that I'm saved because I know what love is because of the gospel. I know what truth is because I tell myself the truth. Believe the truth. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. 
and I know that I'm saved because God's spirit abides in me. Do you know you're saved? Settle it. Because here's the deal, once he's adopted you, guess what, you're his. He's not gonna unadopt you. He's given you a new name and he's given you a new life. And so now here's the question, church, you ready? What are you doing about it? Why are you not giving him your time, your talent, and your treasure? Because now that I understand his mercy and his grace, grace and mercy demand more, never less. The fact that my wife is married to me, it just demands that I want to be a better husband because she's a wonderful woman and I'm not a wonderful man. And she loves me in spite of me. And so it causes me want to give her more and to serve her more and to love her more. And that's, that's, that's a natural relationship. How much more so should it be in a supernatural relationship with God giving me the ability and the blessings of my life? Here's my time, God. Here's all of it. Here's my treasure, God. It all belongs to you anyway. Here's my talent or talents. You might be a one-trick pony, but use it to the glory of God. Here's my talent. I'm going to hold babies that vomit on me. That could be your talent. And serving the Lord. You go on a missions trip. Wait, I don't, wait a second. You mean going on a missions trip? God might call me to go on a missions trip. That costs a lot of money and that's a lot of time. And I don't want to really use my talents for that. Why do we go on mission trips? We go on mission trips, not because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It's because for me, it changes me and recognizes that every tribe, tongue, and nation on all these people around God's throne, and I get to love them and encourage them, and they get to love and encourage me. And it's kind of like a big family reunion. And I want to invite you to come, and if you haven't gone, you're missing out. Why are you, well, you know, I wanted to get the, wanted to get the new car. I wanted to get the new stuff. Well, that's great. You know what? I'm just telling you, in heaven, the Bible says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So I'm getting the Corvette in heaven. Just want you to know, because I drive not a Corvette now. You know, if you win the rat race, worship team's gonna come. If you win the rat race at the end and you get all the toys and everything, what's it matter? You're still a rat, <laughs> right? Let's be transformed. Let's be Christian. Let's know that we're saved. Let's extend the love of Jesus to one another and to those that come in contact with. By this, all men will know that we're followers of Christ. And we know what love is, why? Because he first loved us. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. If, if you need to do business with God, there'll be people underneath the screens that would love to take a Bible and show you. If you're watching from home, please send us a little note. I wanna pray for you and then we're gonna close out of here singing. 
God, I pray, Father, for every person here. I pray, Lord God, that their life would be changed and transformed because we know what love is, because we know that we are in the truth and because the Holy Spirit of God resides in us, Lord God. Help me not just to to say this, Lord God, but me personally, help me to believe this. I'm so sorry for the things that I do, Lord. I'm so sorry for the things that I think. And Lord God, I want to walk in newness of life every moment of every day, and I'm so sorry that I fall short, but thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord God, because of that, I just want to give you everything. I want to give you everything, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that every Christian here, they would recognize and know that they're saved, Father, that they would give you everything would stop holding back, Lord God. If it's tithing, then I pray that they would tithe. If it's time, I pray that they'd give their time. If it's talents, Lord God, I pray that they would surrender their talents to you, Lord God. Just give it to you, Lord. It's yours. We are yours. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.